0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of Drug Fix, the Pink Sheet's Pharma Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Inger, a senior writer at the Pink Sheet, and I'm joined all the way from London by fellow senior writer Eliza Slother, as well as US-based senior editor Sue Sutter, managing editor Bridget Silverman, and executive editor Nielsen Hobbs. Today is December 13th, 2023. As the year comes to a close, we're looking at an issue that not only has generated headlines this year but links the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and Europe and other countries and has the potential to continue influencing regulation around the world in 2024. Project Orbis has been hailed as a resounding success in improving access to new cancer therapies. Launched in 2019, the program allows for partner countries to review applications at the same time as the FDA. The goal is to encourage more collaboration among regulators, although each may make their own decision on the product. We're taking a look at the program today after Eliza found that many of the partner countries in the Orbis program are not keeping up with the U.S. in terms of approving the new products or labeling changes that are fed through the program. Eliza, what can you tell us a little bit about what you found?
1: Yeah, so I noticed that the MHRA, which is the U.K.'s drug regulator hadn't actually approved that many uh, of the medicines that the FDA had authorised under Project Orbis this year. So I then looked at the data from um, the other partners, Australia, Canada, Israel, um, Brazil, Singapore. And I noticed that even they were approving Project Orbis medicines, but there was quite a big delay. So of the medicines that the FDA had approved this year or, you know, variations to the um, label, there were very few that the partners had also approved within 2023. Um, Switzerland had approved a couple, but overall it was pretty low. And yeah, I I guess there's reasons for that that might be out of the control of the regulators. You know, maybe the drug companies um, submitted through the type B or type C pathway, which basically means that there's going to be a gap between the FDA approving it and the partners approving it but in some cases I I don't really know why there's a gap so I don't really I I don't know what that necessarily shows but perhaps the Orbis isn't as speedy as it's kind of touted to be maybe although saying that I have actually spoken to quite a few of the partner regulators and and they all had positive things to say about it so I guess it's a case of, of the data and the experience is maybe not quite lining up from an outside perspective, of course.
0: Yeah, I know this was not supposed to be kind of the FDA projecting approvals on other countries. That was, you know, so, but, and, you know, everyone stays independent, everyone can go at their own pace, and that's wonderful. But I guess I, I, I get concerned when FDA has admitted that they're putting a, a substantial chunk of their oncology work into Project Orbis, like regularly. So if these, these things are getting approved. I mean, that that seems like we're missing the whole point of this project.
1: Something that I included in my data analysis was I actually looked at the uh, European Union. So, at yeah, the European Commission approvals of the same medicines. Um, they're not, the EU isn't an Orbis partner, but I thought be interesting to compare. And, uh, yeah, the EU was actually closer to the FDA than the Orbis partners were they had pretty much approved or given a positive recommendation to most of the drugs that the FDA had approved. So, uh, again, like I'm not quite sure exactly what that says about Orbis, but I think it definitely shows that there's other regulatory pathways that might be just as quick.
0: Well, a, how much of a
2: factor is brushed, uh, do you think, in uh, any of this uh, data? I know we've seen uh, a couple instances where uh, MHRA has seemed to sort of rush to uh, be the first to uh, approve uh, something to show that they're still a a top tier uh, regulator, in case anyone had any doubt. But uh, do you see any of the evidence of that sort of in the oncology sphere in terms of how things are playing out?
1: Potentially, yeah. You're right about the MHRA. When they first joined Orbis, I think they did approve a couple of things quite quickly and ahead of the EU, Something that I noticed was, so for one of the medicines, Roche's Columvi, which is um, a specific, that had been approved in Canada ahead of the FDA project Orbis approval. And also it was approved around the same time in Australia and the UK, not through the Orbis, Orbis initiative. So I'm not sure whether companies uh, always want to file through Orbis. They might choose to do something else. And I think, that could be a factor.
2: How much of, of uh, being included in Project Orbis do we know is um, from the sponsor requesting it? And how much is FDA and the other regulators saying, oh, you know, hey, we've, we're all looking at this same, you know, thing? Like, how, how wh- what's the on-ramp into, into Orbis?
3: I've certainly seen in review documents, uh, meeting minutes, where FDA will have said, we encourage you to file this under Project Orbis. Um, I don't think it's anybody is required to do so. Certainly,
2: I mean, one thing that I've really noticed is that on the on the FDA side, um, Orbis often uh, co-occurs with other programs, um, specifically the Assessment Aid, um, which uh, I think is is uh, has, has been pretty pretty widely and, and heavily accepted. And uh, also the uh, real-time oncology review program where there's a really high proportion of those were were also uh, in Orbis. Um, So is there sort of like a self-selection thing where at FDA, it's not just that it's got Orbis going, it's got these other things driving faster reviews. Uh, And maybe, you know, is there a corresponding thing or lack of corresponding thing on some of the European agencies?
1: Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Definitely. I, so one of the articles that I've written was comparing Orbis to another pathway called Access. So there are multiple pathways that exist. Um, Access doesn't include the FDA because it's a work sharing review process. So I'm not entirely clear on the benefits of each for sponsors themselves, but from a regulator perspective, access saves more time in terms of the workload compared to Orbis. Um, I believe the reason the FDA can't join is because of um, US law, meaning the FDA has to like do all of its own work. But yeah, but I heard really positive things from the access partners about that and about how much time it saves, because they sort of divvy up the workload.
2: Yeah, yeah that, that uh, issue raised, uh, uh, Eliza, remains an ongoing challenge for uh, um, uh, harmonizations of, of any kind, be it sort of kind of, uh, you know, uh, sharing inspection data or uh, um, or anything else on the, um, the initial review side. So, uh, um, obviously, a, a work in progress, even as uh, we see a lot of, uh, you know, positive results in terms of the uh, the speed that it uh, can produce uh, in terms of the collaborations.
0: Yeah. So, despite what may seem like trouble or, or you know, concern, data that doesn't look as, as great as we, we hoped. Global regulators, like Eliza said, are jumping on board with the program. There are now eight countries, in the U, including the U.S., that are participating. And this year, EMA said they want to observe. And a couple months ago, Japan also said they wanted to become an observer. One of the things with EMA joining was, you know, from basically day one, people were asking Richard Pastor, who's Created the program and is director of the Oncology Center of Excellence. Whether EMA would, you know, why, why is an EMA in this program? And he said he kept saying that their system doesn't quite fit the way the Orbis structure is set up because of the just the way EMA works with the different with the approving, but then the individual countries have to do their own approvals and and so forth. So we were kind of thinking that, oh, maybe they wouldn't join. But, you know, now they're here. They want to look at it and see if they can figure out a way to leverage resources, even though the benefits of observer status may not entirely be clear yet. But I'm, I'm curious now that we have some of the largest, you know, drug regulators on the planet involved in some capacity in Project Orbis, does that, you know, could you see more kind of a you know, momentum towards global harmonization. It, you know, it's a kind of a great idea that everybody just likes to talk about. But I mean, is this kind of the thing that kind of is able to actually push, start pushing the the snowball down the mountain, so to speak?
1: I mean, I definitely think that it adds a little bit of pressure in terms of if one country is making one decision and another country makes another decision, they might have to justify themselves a little bit more if there's more scientific collaboration and more sharing of information, um, that's something that came out of my interviews with Swiss Medic and with Health Canada and the MHRA. They were saying that these collaborations, like the kind of best thing about them is that they learn from other regulators and it's the scientific advice and the expertise that's really, really helpful. So yeah, I, I think things like Project Orbis definitely, as you said all countries are independent and they can choose whether to approve something or not approve something but if you if they're all reviewing the same data and around about doing that at the same time and having conversations over it it does make you question how they could arrive at different decisions really
0: didn't that happen the fir- the very first project orbis application i think was it canada that decided not to approve it and even though fda did or something like i can't remember what it was but i think that actually happened <laughs> the other interesting thing is, you know, what you were saying about putting, pre- you know, each of the different regulators pressuring each other to make similar decisions because they know what kind of the backlash would be. You know, you could see something like that, you know, I, you know, I keep bringing everything back to the rare disease community, but they're very well connected, you know, around the world, and if one country, if they're all collaborating and one country says yes and, another country says no there'll be immediately a lot of complaining and protesting and questions about why you all can look at the same data and come to different get a different answer but that that isn't to say that everyone should just kind of just bow to whoever makes the decision first or whatever or whatever but it it is an interesting problem to consider as we you know as as they push for the more of the you know more harmonization
2: uh, one thing I think is going to be interesting to look at with um, harmonization is going to be uh, on um, diversity, ethnic background. That um, you know, that's especially with safety. Uh, you know, that for for some drugs, some pathways is is a a differentiating thing as to you know risk tolerance uh, in different countries. So I think that's going to be interesting to look at.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think. You know with the Alzheimer's medications. Um, I know they're not in Project Orbis; they're not cancer drugs, but that's an area where different regulators have uh, viewed the safety data quite differently. So, I guess that could happen for, for any drug, really.
0: And we're still we're still seeing some kind of as this as this project and other harmonization efforts have kind of cropped up. Now we're seeing kind of other industries jump in and try and help build on that a little bit. I mean, there's a, there's a company called Accumulus that's designing a software package that to, that would allow sponsors to put applications in one, in this kind of central document room. And then all the different regulators would be able to look at it and you wouldn't have to submit, you know, 200 applications and make, you know, with the minor changes and so forth. Um, And one of the, one of their use, cases is project orbis um they're they're in the process of designing the whole thing right now and getting ready to kind of try it with um you know like fake data or whatever you want to call it test data Um, and um in in talking with them what you you just get shocked at how kind of the thing you know how the gap exists because like right now they're just using sharepoint lane old microsoft sharepoint (laughs) Or Dropbox, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you hear that, and you're just like, uh, okay, that you know, that's something that like you share pictures with, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, or you know, like your holiday cards. <laughs> I, you know, the security supposedly, you know, is you know there, but you you could ask lots and lots and lots of questions about that. So, you know, it those those kinds of things, you know, you can see kind of. how this is kind of spurring the momentum a little bit to you know to kind of you know on on this idea
1: yeah i wonder and this is something a question that i have in case anybody knows when when companies make these um applications to different countries are there things like language requirements you know if something's been submitted in germany's have to be in german um and does that affect the ability of the Project Orbis application, I suppose there's probably little small nuances like that. Um, And also, yeah, like Bridget said about the diversity, If, if the trials were mainly conducted, say, in the US and Europe and those kind of populations, would they still be relevant for countries in other parts of the world? And how would that be taken into account
0: I know translation is an issue because that's one of the things Accumulus is working on. They they have to. I mean, right now the documents I think they said were only in English, but they have to set it up so they can be in German, French, eventually. I'm assuming J- Japanese, Chinese, you know, et cetera. And the issue with the trials, I mean, we we already have that problem here in the U.S. With, um, I mean, you know, the the FDA Rick Pastor, has been talking about this. He wants. He wants U.S. oncology drugs tested in U.S. patients, you know, in a in a population that's reflective of the the population that could take the drugs. So, you know, I, I'm guessing that that would be something that would at least be discussed ahead of time if it's even possible to kind of make, you know, to to you know to get the kind of population where everyone will be happy.
3: Well, Rick Pastor has also been pushing. Um This idea of multi-regional trials um, that you know span the globe. So you know theoretically that you'd have populations, subgroups of patients in in those large trials that would be able to satisfy individual regulators because not not that the trials wouldn't be 100% U.S. or 100% Northern European. But there'd be enough patients from those areas in the trials that you know they could at least look for safety signals, or you know, a oh, drug just does not look effective in this in this population.
0: I wanted to look ahead a little bit since we are only a few weeks from 2024. You know, where where do you all think Project Orbis could go in the future? I mean, there's obviously still a lot of work to be done. We've seen it's not perfect quite yet, but the obvious question is, could not Ni- cancer drugs use this program or use something like this program? What do you all think?
3: So, back early in 2023, Peter Marks, who's the director of the center, FDA Center for Biologics Evaluation Research, talked about the idea of taking an Orbis-type approach to cell and gene therapies for rare diseases. His thinking was that this would be a way um, to better leverage global patient populations with ultra rare diseases and attract more commercial interest in development for these um, conditions. So I think that's one possibility. Um, I haven't heard any update on terms of progress toward toward such an approach. Um, So that's one possibility. I also would be expecting maybe since 2024 will be five years since orbis was established i believe i think it was set up in 2019 I'm wondering if anybody is going to be doing um a formal look back over the past five years sort of similar to what eliza did <laughs> saying who who approved what how quickly you know just sort of how effective the program has been that seems like the kind of journal article that the oncology center of excellence um would wanna take on but presumably it would any sort of look back would have to involve the orbis partners as well because there's you know no point in doing this if it's not kind of accomplishing its goals right and and based upon Eliza's data it's like well it sort of is accomplishing its goals but maybe not so much so
2: mm-hmm. i'd be interested in 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 learning more about uh, sort of what what kind of endpoints are sort of best handled through Orbis. I wonder if one thing that might hinder expanding it outside of oncology um, is that in some areas, there's still uh, differences between regulatory agencies on what the what the endpoint needs to be, or how long it needs to be measured. Um, so, you know, when you've got overall survival, everybody knows what that means. But you know, some of these functional endpoints in, you know, immunology and neurology and such such are uh, possibly more more of a, a problem for
0: harmonization. I definitely see that being a barrier in rare diseases, where it, it the the FDA doesn't necessarily agree on all the endpoints, let alone multi uh, regulators around the world. So you know, yeah, that 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 could be a, a big problem, especially as you're trying to, you know, put together clinical trials, you know, across countries and, you know, to try and uh, increase the size of the patient pool and 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 everything.
1: About the future of Project Orbis, I can only really speak from a UK slash European perspective. But I think the success of Project Orbis and its on or the degree to which the UK continues to participate in the future will probably hinge on its alignment with reimbursement in the country. One of the articles I did was looking at which drugs that were approved through Orbis had then gone on to be reimbursed on the NHS, which is National Health Service. Because pretty much here, if you if a drug's not reimbursed on the NHS, people won't have access to it. It's not common to have or use private health insurance in the UK, really. Um, and even when you do, they tend to follow the guidelines of the NHS anyway. So, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a problem where drugs get approved quickly, but then it still takes like a year or more for it to actually get reimbursed, or it maybe doesn't get reimbursed at all because it's too expensive. And I just think, I think that there probably won't be much point in the UK continuing to participate unless it has a bit more alignment with with the reimbursement body, which it does seem to be doing. Um, there does seem to be an increased kind of pace of how quickly things are getting reimbursed compared to the initial medicines that were approved under Orbis in the UK. But yeah, I think that would be important. And also if any more, like if, if the EU did somehow join Orbis, and I guess kind of for Canada and Switzerland as well, that's that's a problem in those countries too.
0: That's interesting. Did they... Did they say like why like they're being or, you know, are they giving reasons for why they're not being reimbursed or why it's taking so long? Is it just is it a, like a lack of efficacy or something or is it just, you know, the bureaucratic stuff?
1: Uh, it kind of happens all the time here with lots of medicines. Usually it's just that they're too expensive. So NICE just looks at it has cost effectiveness threshold. And that's obviously quite different from what the regulator is looking at. So. Yeah it's is one of those sort of tailors as old as time problems but it does seem to be particularly enhanced when drugs are approved through like innovative pathway kind of things because they often are quite expensive.
0: Yeah that's interesting. I'm not I'm not a reimbursement expert but again you keep getting reminded that FDA approval is not the end of the road it's really <laughs> the beginning in a lot of cases even here in the US. Well that's all for today. Thanks for this discussion, everybody. Um, Additional Project Orbis coverage will be coming in early 2024. For more, check out our website at www.thepinksheet.com. You can also find this and all other podcasts on uh, the Sightline channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Spotify Podcasts, and via smart speakers if one of those platforms has been set up as your default podcast provider. Thanks again for listening to this special edition of Drug Fix. I'm Derek Ingery with Eliza Slother, Sue Sutter, Bridget Silverman, and Nielsen Hobbs. Take care, and we'll see you next time.